Next on ReachMD, Voices from American Medicine, featuring perspectives, challenges, and triumphs from physicians currently in practice in the front lines of healthcare. Now here is the host of Voices from American Medicine, ReachMD's CEO, Gary Epstein. A person trained as both a physician and lawyer brings multiple perspectives to his healthcare practice. Joining me today from Austin, Texas, is clinical cardiologist, Dr. Stanley Wang. Dr. Wang also holds a JD degree, as well as a master's degree in public health. Dr. Wang, welcome to Voices from American Medicine. Thanks so much for having me. It's a thrill to be here. Before we get into kind of your perspectives on law as it relates to policy of medicine, I kind of wanted to get a sense of your clinical practice and what you're doing in the area of medicine from that standpoint. Well, right now I'm predominantly a clinical cardiologist in an outpatient setting. I see about two-thirds of my patients in South Austin, which is a city in Texas, and then I also do some outreach clinics to two smaller towns in LaGrange, Texas and Giddings, Texas. Giddings is about 4,000 people, LaGrange is about 13 or 14,000. So I've got both an urban and a rural practice. Also for our practice, which is a group of 45 cardiologists, I serve as the Director of Legislative Affairs, and in that capacity, I'm pretty involved with organized medicine, the Texas Medical Association, and have done some testifying on various medical bills down at the Capitol. I'm wondering, with a practice that's sort of partially rural and partially urban, if you have any clinical insights from cross-serving those two populations? The two populations are quite different. Part of it is the patient mix. In the two rural areas where I practice, there are a lot of retirees. There's a much larger Medicare population. The cardiovascular disease that I take care of there tends to be more chronic and in many ways more severe, although there's certainly exceptions in both settings, whereas the more urban practice, part of my practice, tends to be a more commercial insurance mix, younger people who are looking more for preventive measures or earlier in their stages of cardiovascular disease. The experience as a doctor in both settings is quite different. I find the rural practice patients to be a lot more conservative and traditional. They dress up to come see the doctor whereas the younger crowd in Austin that I see tends to come armed with pages they've printed off the Internet about right, possible right. conditions that they may have. So it keeps things kind of very interesting for me because I get such a diverse array of personalities to work with. And in Texas, how rural is rural? Because I can imagine, I mean, how far outside the Austin city limits do you get? And you're pretty far out. So the drive from Austin to LaGrange and Giddings is about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. How did you actually get started in medicine originally? What inspired it? Do you have any role models? Yes, absolutely. My dad was a cardiologist. Um, he trained partially at Hopkins and partially under Dr. DeBakey at Baylor before settling into rural East Texas where I grew up, Jacksonville, Texas. And he was also a cardiologist. He did about 50% cardiology and about 50% was actually primary care because in rural Texas setting, there wasn't enough patients to support a full-time cardiology practice. So interesting that the medicine, I find, is often kind of a family business. Absolutely. But it was kind of through his guidance that I pursued multiple degrees. Talk to me a little bit about that. So at what point did you decide to start to study law? Was it simultaneous, like an MD-JD program? Or? Yes. My interest in both degrees kind of started very early on. My, my father, again, as a cardiologist, you know, he took care of over 10,000 patients and would tell me that you know, at the end of the day, at the end of his career, he felt like he really helped the people that he took care of. But if you took a step back and you looked at the then 240 million people in our country and 6 billion people in the world, it almost makes you feel like you should have done a little more to kind of help the humanity in general. And so he told me to be fulfilled, really, I needed to do something more than just be a doctor. And so 
when I started off, I actually looked into being a physician scientist, but soon found out I didn't really enjoy being isolated in the lab. And then my uncle, who was a pharmacology professor at University of Illinois, told me about a combined medicine law program they had there. And at that time, there were about six in the country dedicated MDJD programs. And the more I learned about it, the more interested I became. So ultimately, I ended up taking both the MCAT and LSAT, the two qualifying exams for medicine and law, respectively, and started looking into combined programs. At the end of the process, I ended up being accepted to University of Texas Southwestern Medical School, but University of Pennsylvania Law School, (laughs) and had to kind of forge my own MDJD program between those two institutions. Interesting. So it sounds like you did know, though, that you wanted to focus on the sort of medicine side of that combination. That's right. Along the same lines, when my father was advising me to do a little more than just be a clinician, he was facing the HMO industry, which was starting at the time. And so I became quickly interested in health policy because his experience with medicine changed dramatically as things shifted from fee-for-service to HMOs and PPOs. And so when I applied and started, I actually did my first two years of law school first. That was right around the time the transitions occurred. And so a lot of my theses and individual research was about health policy. So you started to talk before about the efforts on the policy side that you do on behalf of, it sounds like, both your own practice as well as the Texas Medical Association. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. So after all my training, the Texas Medical Association became a perfect place for me to start applying both my legal and my medical background. And, you know, I think it's really important to always remember that the patient is kind of our first duty. But a second-order duty beyond that, to me, seems to be the guardianship of the medical industry. We really have a responsibility to make sure that we continue to be able to deliver health care to our patients in the best way possible. And so being involved with Texas Medical Association and before that with the Food and Drug Administration, actually, kind of gives me a way to satisfy that desire to provide more of a societal benefit to take care of of the society in addition to taking care of my patients. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Voices from American Medicine on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Gary Epstein, and joining me today from Austin, Texas, is cardiologist and attorney Stanley Wang. Let's talk a little bit more about the kinds of legislative activities that you have gotten involved in in Texas and where you see Texas leading the way, because I do know that it's a state that has been, in general, uh, at least the state medical association has been very active and involved with making reform. I actually became involved with Texas Medical Association as a medical student. While I was undergoing this combined medicine and law training, I became chair of the medical student section and served that term during my last year of law school, which was interspersed between years two and three of medical school. And at that time, we were dealing with medical malpractice, liability, crisis, and uh, some difficulty recruiting physicians to our state, really undersupplied areas throughout uh, many parts of especially rural Texas. And so a few years after that, when I was in uh, fellowship training, Texas passed a landmark liability reform bill that capped non-economic medical damages, and really was the first state to constitutionalize that. They passed a uh, constitutional amendment that allowed that legislation to stand. And so I actually had left the state to do my training in cardiology, but after this law passed, it certainly made it easier to come back. And I think because of 
that landmark legislation, Texas Medical Association, has really become popular among doctors in Texas. And I'm not sure about the actual number, but I believe Texas Medical Association has one of the, the highest memberships among the state medical institutions. It does, in fact, yeah. I know that from my AMA days. It, uh, it's, <laughs> right. one, it's one of the strongest medical societies, associations across the country. They do a great job down there. And so since the liability reform has passed, the numbers of applications to become licensed to practice medicine in Texas has gone way up. I think each year they seem to set a record in the number of applications. It certainly was a major factor in my decision to come back. Can you tell us a little bit about the tort reform in Texas that you're speaking of and give our listeners a little bit better understanding of what you guys have accomplished there? The malpractice environment has been very challenging for a lot of physicians uh, across the country, especially in high-risk specialties, including obstetrics, neurosurgery. And because of that kind of environment, it was for a while very challenging to recruit physicians to Texas. And the Texas Medical Association was able to pass tort reform in a meaningful way, not only through legislation, but also through a constitutional amendment that was voted upon by the actual voters of Texas. And, you know, after this kind of legislation passed, and that was through tremendous effort from the medical association, from the physicians who would go to the Capitol and talk to the legislators, and also talk to our patients about how important it was to make sure, you know, we could control the liability climate in order to improve access to high-quality health care. Uh, we began to see recruitment of physicians go way up. You know, there was a while where there was no really neurosurgical coverage in the Austin area, and after this pass, we had neurosurgical coverage. It became a lot easier to recruit obstetricians, even other specialties, cardiologists. It became easier to recruit them as well. And I think in the years since then, we saw the average number of uh, applications rise to become licensed in Texas. You might have to check with the Texas Medical Association for the actual numbers, but it's been record-setting every single year since then. And if you could suggest to other physician listeners uh, across the country how they might dive in and start to get involved in their state, you know, any thoughts or suggestions? It sounds like you started at a pretty early age as a medical student. To get involved in health politics through the Medical Association is very simple. I think simply attending the annual and intermediate conferences of the associations really makes a lot of difference. The first time you go, it may be a little bit intimidating, but you'll quickly find out that you'll meet a lot of the same people who have the same interests, the same desire to kind of serve this higher-order purpose and really have a lot of the same things to talk about. Between sessions of the medical association meeting, oftentimes the local medical society will have events where some of them may be social networking, but others are involved meeting with legislators and talking about some easy and then some challenging health policy issues. And it's such a great opportunity to learn more about the practice environment that you're in. And I think it's really important for doctors to be involved as the healthcare system continues to evolve medically, legally, politically, and in a regulatory fashion. A lot of docs will tell us that they just can't find the time. The challenge of today's practice being so busy is making time for organized medicine A lot of these kinds of events do occur on weekends and in the evenings, and of course it's hard to give up personal time, but then some of the legislative events do occur during business hours. And what I would say is you kind of have to make sacrifices. The work of a few good people can really translate to benefit to the entire community. In a way, it's a calling, but it's also a responsibility for all of us. And I think everyone's got a slight mix of responsibilities and time commitments, but if you're able to sacrifice even a little bit of time, it can really go a long way and make a big difference. 
in your studies of the law uh, as well as medicine, do you have any thoughts or feelings on the notion of the medical court system where we take things out of the traditional legal system and create medical courts that's been buzzing about these days? There are several models of medical courts that provide a separate legal or regulatory domain for medical liability cases. The key common factor is that the qualifications of the people kind of judging culpability or guilt really needs to be different from kind of the layperson. A lot of these medical cases become very emotional and it becomes very challenging to be objective about right or wrong, especially in a field like this where oftentimes there isn't a right or wrong, just kind of different ways of doing things. So I believe there is a definite role for medical courts, but I also think that, you know, liability camps are an important part of it as well because as long as there's too much liability, people will practice defensively. Defensive medicine has been studied, and the numbers are there regarding the actual amount that it costs, but I think that that's actually an underestimate because a lot of the standards that are in place today, for example, stress testing before major surgery, are in large part kind of driven by a fear of liability. And it sure sounds like you would recommend to any young physicians who might be listening the notion of a career that combines medicine and the law. Yes, I think even if you don't have the time to go and get a law degree, we all need to be a little more educated about the environment that we practice in from a regulatory and legal standpoint. Everything is changing so fast now with the proposed reforms to the healthcare system. And I think unless we have good awareness and good participation from physicians, everything is going to be driven by non-physicians, and there will be some bad outcomes. So for especially young physicians, but all physicians in general, I think it's critically important that we all take some time to learn about it, to try to get involved, and, and try to continue to improve the process. And that requires a little bit of personal sacrifice on all of our parts. But if we all just sacrifice a little, I think we can all gain a lot. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Stanley Wang, a cardiologist in practice at Austin Heart in Austin, Texas. I'd also like to thank the Texas Medical Association for nominating Dr. Wang to be interviewed today. I'd like to invite our listeners to find out more about America's largest state medical association by visiting www.texmed.org. Dr. Wang, thanks again for being a guest on Voices from American Medicine. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Voices from American Medicine on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals, featuring perspectives, challenges, and triumphs from physicians currently in practice on the front lines of healthcare. Voices from American Medicine is hosted by ReachMD's CEO, Gary Epstein.